Good morning, brothers and sisters. Please take your Bibles and open with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Today we are going to be studying verses 5 through 13 as we continue to make our way verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 2, 5 through 13, I invite you, if you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. The Lord Jesus once said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hebrews 2, starting with verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God, I and the children God has given to me. Friends, the grass will wither, the flowers will fall, but the word of God, it stands forever. Let's pray as we go before God's word. God, we pause now to, to recognize that we are not reading or studying man's best efforts on paper. We're we're reading and studying the very word of the living God. It is God-breathed and errant and infallible. And Lord, you've taught us that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Holy Spirit, be in this place today. Remove every distraction from our minds and our hearts that we might see Jesus. We ask your blessings upon this time that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that we might learn to love you and to love others well, Lord. And today, as we examine your purpose in creating us, may the book of Hebrews speak to us today through your spirit. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Friends, please be seated. All right, let's start this morning with a story, okay? So before I tell you this story, a little disclaimer. Deirdre gave me her full permission to tell the story. Now you're ready. You know this is a good one, right? 
couple years ago, Deirdre and I went to Hilton Head to, to celebrate our anniversary. It was great. We, we went down there to the beach and just enjoyed our time. And one night we went down to Harbortown. You ever been to Harbortown, Hilton Head, anyone? We went down to Harbortown to, to eat some seafood. And after dinner, we're like, let's, let's walk out to the pier. So we were on our way walking to the pier, and um, I noticed something on the back of Deirdre's shirt, and I, and I looked a little more closely, and I saw there, there's a little pocket on the back of her shirt, you know, right here just below her shoulder. And I thought, that's, that's odd. I've, I've never seen a design like that before. I've seen a little pocket on the front of people's shirt, but I've never seen the pocket on the back of someone's shirt. So I asked Deirdre about it. I was like, where'd you, where'd you get that shirt with the pocket on the back? She's like, what are you talking about? I said, there's a pocket on the back of your shirt. And she's like, what? And she kind of pulled her shirt over and she's like, oh, oh no. You know what happened? She put her shirt on backwards. The back was where the front was supposed to be. The front was where the back was supposed to be. It was completely turned around, completely opposite of the design it should be completely backwards and we had a good laugh about that but it was an easy fix you know she just goes to the restroom and uh, switches it back and uh, goes goes on her day goes on her day how many people noticed that we'll, ne we'll never know we'll never know but that was the day Deirdre had her shirt on backwards well friends I tell you the story today because right here in the book of Hebrews. This text is telling us that these original hearers, these Jewish Hebrews who had embraced Jesus Christ and were young in their faith, it, it tells us that, um, that they had flipped something that they shouldn't have flipped. That something was backwards in their lives. In fact, for them, it wasn't a shirt that they flipped. They had completely flipped God's purpose in their lives. Even though God said to live one way, these Hebrews had flipped it. They had turned it backwards, and they were deciding to live a different way, really a, a backwards way of living. You see, God had been very clear with them. As to their purpose. He says that I created you. I created you to obey the creator. And not obey the creation. But you flip that. You put the shirt on backwards. Because these Hebrews were obeying the creation. Instead of their creator. And even today, friends, as we examine our own lives, we find that so often in life, we find ourselves obeying God's creation instead of obeying God, who is our creator. And friends, that's what this text today is all about. Seeing God's purpose for us, seeing how we flip that and put that shirt on backwards, and seeing how Christ redeems us from that mistake. But do you ever do that? Do you ever find that you obey the things of the world rather than God? 
you ever find that you obey the creation rather than the creator? I think we've all done that. Friends, if you've done that, this text is for you. If you'll take your bulletins and look on the back, three specific points today as we walk through this text in Hebrews 2. The first point is, let's look at that purpose. What was God's purpose for man at creation? That's verses 5 through the first part of 8. The second point is man. Man flipping God's purpose because of sin. That man taking that shirt that God's given us and says, we're not going to wear it correctly. We're going to flip it around and wear it backwards. We do that because of our sin. And then lastly, we're going to see God's redemption. And I will also say even restoration. Restoration of man, not through ourselves, but through the God-man. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's only Christ who can flip that shirt back around. But let's zoom in. Let's reread verses 5 through the first part of 8 and look at their first point, God's purpose for man at creation. The text says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? And we know where that came from, right? Matt read it a moment ago from Psalm 8. For you made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Do this with me. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Do you remember the story of Genesis 1 when God created all things in the space of six days and all was very good? We remember that on day one, God created light and darkness. On day two, he created the heavens. On day three, the Bible says he created land and seas, vegetation and trees. But I want you to, I want you to see a phrase in Genesis 1 that you can't miss. This is going to be so important to understand how things are created, specifically the creation of land and trees and birds and cattle compared to the way God created man. So look with me at verse 12. Do you see in verse 12 of, of Genesis 1 how God talks about making vegetation and trees and things like that? Do you see the, one of the last phrases of the verse where it says, He made each according to its kind? Like underline that phrase, each according to its kind, because we're going to see how that compares differently in a moment. But what that means was that trees were made after the pattern of trees. Vegetation was made after the pattern of vegetation. That might sound confusing, but we'll make it clear in just a moment. Day four, God made the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, he made the fish and the birds. But look at verse 21. You see it again at the end of the verse. They were made according to their kinds. Underline that phrase. That means fish were made, were, were made after the pattern of fish. Birds were made after the pattern of birds. You get to livestock on day six. Verse 25, what does it say about livestock? It says it not once, but twice in the verse. They were made according to their kind, according to their kind, after the pattern of livestock. 
But then, in verse 26, you get to the creation of man. How was man made? Was he made the same way as a tree or as a fish or as a cow? Was man made after his own kind? You might expect to hear that because you've heard it four times already, right? In Genesis 1. But what does the Bible say in verse 26? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Wow. Do you see the shift in language? Man, that is men and women, human beings got something that no other part of creation got. Man and men and women were made, friends, in the image of God, as if God took his finger and pressed down his fingerprint on each human being. They were not made according to their kind. They were made after the image of God. Trees weren't made that way. Fish, cattle weren't made that way. The pattern that God made man is God himself. And friends, it's the image of God in you, in me. That's what gives us the honor and the dignity and the worth that all other parts of creation don't have. Man is distinctly different. Well, let's talk about this. What does that even, what does that even mean? You're like, Pastor Adam, what does that even mean to be made in the image of God? Yeah, it's a great phrase. There was a great uh, quote uh, Matt said about the uh, image of God. But what does that even mean? At least three things. First of all, it means that God has given you personhood. Think about this. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons. And to be a person means that you have the opportunity to be in relationship and to know other people. Just as the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Spirit, and the Spirit knows the Father, God gave you His image so that you can know each other, that you can have a relationship with each other, but more importantly, you can have a relationship and know God in a personal way. That's something that a tree and a fish and a cow can't do. They can't know God personally and relationally. God has imprinted upon you, dear friend, personhood, but not to those other parts of creation. And in personhood, we reflect God when we know others and we know God. Secondly, being made in God's image means that we have a conscience, the gift of conscience, the ability to know right from wrong. Did you, do you know the Bible says that even a Gentile sinner, what that means is a pagan, someone who doesn't know the Lord, even the unsaved can tell you right from wrong because God has given them a conscience. Here's where it says that in the Bible. This is Romans 2, 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, right? The law was, the, the, t- the tablets were given to the Jews, not the Gentiles. So when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have a law. They show that the work of the law is where? Written on their heart. And their conscience bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse them 
or even excuse them. Why does a non-believer deep down inside know that murder is wrong? It's because God's law is written on his heart. That's what the Bible says. And having a conscience, we reflect God's law in our hearts. It also means that we have an eternal soul. Something, again, that trees and fish and cattle don't have. That God made us to live for eternity, and He gave us a soul, and we know that eternity will be in hell or in heaven, but the fact that God has given us an eternal component in that we reflect God. So, make sense? So, image of God, three things personhood, conscience, and having an eternal soul. But do you see in verse 26, have that Bible open to Genesis 1 still. Do you see in verse 26 the command that God gave to man? Matt read it earlier. We'll put it up on the screen. Yes, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. But what's the command? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So there's a, there's a purpose here. You're made in the image of God. Just as God rules, his image bearers should rule, and they should rule the world. They should rule the cattle and the fish. They should rule the, rule the trees, the livestock, have dominion. So we can boil it down to this. This is a very helpful quote from Dr. Kruger. Being made in the image of God, we'll put that on the screen, primarily two things. We're made to reflect God's glory, and we're made to rule God's world. That's what mankind is made for. We reflect God's glory in our personhood, in having God's law on our hearts, having an eternal soul. But we also are called to what? To rule, to have dominion over the earth. And I want you to notice what verse 5 says. Go back to Hebrews. You can now jump back to Hebrews. Look at what the beginning of verse 5 says. It says, God didn't create angels to do that. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world. No, it was, it was man. And you might be thinking, Adam, this sounds like a lot. If, if God has created me to rule the world, that sounds way out of my league because I'm very small compared to this world. Isn't that what the psalmist in Psalm 8 said? What did he say? He said, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Are you telling me that God is entrusting me to rule this world, even within this universe? And the answer is yes. Back in 1997, um, I think I've told somebody I was getting a physics minor in college, and I went out to the Air Force Academy uh, to do one of the labs, to, to work in the observatory. And I studied binary star systems. This will bore you to tears, but... A binary star system is two stars that rotate like this around each other, way out in our solar system, okay? And we were using a gigantic telescope there at the Air Force Academy, um, looking into the distance. And we were looking light years away. So uh, remember, a light year is not a unit of time, it's a unit of distance. The amount of distance light travels... At, 
um, in a year. So we were looking many, many, many light years away in this telescope. My, my whole point in saying this to you is that I got to see just how big our, our universe is. It's massive. It is so huge. And you can see why the psalmist would say, what is man that you're mindful of him? Yet God comes to that small man who thinks he might be insignificant and he gives us significance because he says, you're made in my image and I want you, man, to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the heavens. I want you to, to rule. Look at verses 8 and 9 in your text. This is Hebrews 2. I want you to see how God sees mankind. And I want you to think about this in terms of reflecting and ruling. Do you see verse 7? Verse 7 says that God has crowned man with honor and glory. Verse 7 is man reflecting God's glory. Do you see verse 8? God says, I put everything in subjection under the feet of man. This is not talking about Jesus here. It's talking about man. This is man ruling the world. And remember, this is God's purpose, that mankind, not angels, mankind govern creation. In fact, God says that one day we're going to judge angels. Did you know that? This is one of the differences between angels and humans. 1 Corinthians 6.3, the Bible says, did you not know that we are to judge angels? So, when we look at God's purpose, we see what it is to reflect God's glory and to rule God's world. Here, here's another drawing for you that, that might help you see and understand this. We'll put this drawing up on the screen. So who rules? So at the top, God rules all things. And then God created man in his image. And just as God rules man, man as God's image, man as God's image bearers can rule creation. Does that make sense? I probably got that English wrong. So here's my question. How are we doing with that? How's Adam and, how, did, how did Adam and Eve do with that? God created them to rule the, to rule the, the vegetation, the trees, the land. How are we doing with that? The answer is not too good. In fact, our whole second point answers that question about Adam and Eve and about us. We'll see that in just a minute. But how does this apply to you, dear friend? How are you doing with God's purpose of you reflecting his glory and of you ruling or governing his creation? Well, let's see how we're doing in this second point. The second point says, man flipping God's purpose because of sin. Here's the last part of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. The author of Hebrews tells them how they're doing. He goes, at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. We should, but we don't. In other words, the Bible's saying, hey, Hebrews, right now, in your life, you're not doing a very good job of ruling God's creation. In fact, the creation's ruling you. You're not subduing creation. Creation is subduing you. 
Now, before we get into these Hebrews and us, let's, let's see how Adam and Eve did with that. Now we're in Genesis 3, right? In Genesis 3, we know that God had given Adam and Eve one rule, right? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. And one day in the garden, they encountered the tree and they encountered the serpent. What Revelation teaches us is the devil. And Satan tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree, right? Now, before we go any further, let's answer this question. Is Satan the creator or is he the created? He's the created. And not only is he the created, he's an angel. Well, in this case, a fallen angel. But on that day, who did Adam and Eve decide to obey? Did they obey God or did they obey Satan? Did they obey the creator or did they obey the created? Yeah, John, you're right. They obeyed the created. And at that point, Adam and Eve stopped ruling creation. And they let creation begin to start ruling them. Adam and Eve must have thought, hey, this created thing over here must be better than the creator. Angels must be better than God. And when they ate of that fruit, they turned their shirt backwards, y'all. They completely flipped the order. Because remember, this was supposed to be the order, right? God creates God, as the supreme ruler, creates man. Man is in the image of God, and man rules creation. But they turned it to this, this next one. They said, okay, God, yeah, you're the supreme ruler, but we are now going to let the creation start speaking down to us who is made in your image. We're going to put the shirt on backwards. We're going to live life backwards. Just like Deirdre Shirt and Hilton Head, they flipped the purpose that God had intended. They chose to obey the Creator rather than the creation. And the author of Hebrews is coming to these Hebrews and he's saying, This is exactly what you're doing. Instead of letting the Creator rule, you're letting the created rule, and the life that you're living is not pleasing to God. You reverse the purpose, it's backwards. So let's boil this down, dear friends. We've talked about Adam and Eve. We've talked about those Hebrews. Well, how does it affect you and me sitting in the church pew here in, well, church seat, no pews, church seat here in 2023? Again, the question, have you ever let the created rule your life instead of the creator? Have you ever let that which is made dominate you instead of your maker? Is creation subduing you or are you subduing creation? We know God's purpose. We are to rule, to govern. But this is where the rubber hits the road. Listen closely. Dear friends, every time you pick up your device to look at pornography, the creation is ruling you 
instead of the creator. Every time our possessions, every time our entertainments dominate our time so much that we are incognizant of God, the creation is ruling us instead of the creator. Every time that we give things like Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok more time than we would ever thinking about giving to God, the creation is ruling you instead of the creator. And it's ruling me too. When we do all of these things, friends, we're living life with our shirts on backwards. And then we realize things need to be reversed. This is the wrong order. i got to switch this shirt back. But you find out, man, I can't flip it back on my own. Me and all of my power, all of my efforts can't flip it back on my own. Why? Because of Genesis 3. Do we remember the effects of the fall? Yes, we're made in the image of God. But what did sin do to us, dear friend, in the garden? The Bible tells us that we inherited Adam and Eve's sin. Augustine called it original sin. We also have our actual sins. And what did these sins do? Well, they don't strip us of the image of God, but they twist it. They distort it. And instead of running to God to find relationship, we hide from God. Isn't that exactly what Adam and Eve did when they fell into sin? They didn't run towards God, they ran away from Him. Instead of living out God's law that's written on our hearts, we suppress it, we push it down, we kick it, say, go away. And our souls, our eternal souls, they're spiritually dead because of our sin. And we need to be born again because we can't make ourselves alive unto God. Basically, this shows us, friends, that we can't fix ourselves. Deirdre had the luxury of just going into the restroom, fixing her shirt. We can't do that because sin has not just crippled us. It's killed us. We need someone to act on our behalf. We need a Savior and a Redeemer who's perfect to come and fix this. So friends, that leads us to our third and final point this morning. God's redemption of man through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9 to 13. But we see Him Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. As we mentioned a moment ago, Deirdre could fix her issue easily. Just go to the bathroom, turn it around yourself, right? Easy fix. But fallen man... We can't do that because sin 
has killed us spiritually. We're dead in our trespasses. We're fallen. We need a strong, a perfect, and an almighty Savior to do that for us. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. This text starts going through some of the things that Jesus is and what he has done for us. Do you see that phrase in Hebrews um, that says that Jesus is the founder of our salvation? Is that verse 10? The founder of our salvation? Do you know what the word founder means That when you define that? It means pioneer. What's a pioneer do? He blazes a trail when there is no trail, right? He says, when there's no way to get from point A to point B, I'm going to find a way and I'm going to blaze that way from point A to point B so that other people can follow me. Friend, when we got to the point of saying there's no way, we see our sin breaking us down to the point of, of we can't do anything about our condition. So that's when God sent Jesus. And Jesus made a way when there was no way. Jesus pioneered. He, he plowed the road and he brought us from point A in our sin to point B, which is life in Christ. And he did that in several ways. Jesus, first of all, was our representative. Did you see in this text that, that it says that he was made like his brothers? Look at your hands. Look at your hands. You have flesh and blood. What did Jesus do? He came and he had flesh and blood to represent us. Many of you know my brother served in the Tennessee House of Representatives for 14 years, and he served as a state representative. He represented the people of the 3rd District of Northeast Tennessee. But my brother as a representative wasn't perfect, was he? He would mess up from time to time, but he did his best job to represent us. So Jesus was not only a representative, but the next part is that Jesus is perfect. He was a perfect representative. Boy, wouldn't that be nice to have one of those on the ballot? Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but how? Yet without sin. So we see that Jesus did something that we're unable to do. He was tempted just as we are, yet he did it sinlessly. So not only can he represent you because he has flesh and blood just like you do, but he can represent you perfectly before his father. We also learn that he is our substitution. You know I'm a sports guy. Many of you are sports people. You see a game being played on TV. The 11 guys that start on offense don't always finish the game. They have substitutes come in for them, right? Someone who plays the game for them. That's what Jesus did for you, dear friend. When he looked at us and said, man, this person's really messed up things in life. He's sinned against me. He's fallen. He can't do anything about it. I'm going to come into the game for him. He can come out of the game. I can come into the game. I'll play the game of life for him. I'll be his substitute, and I'll do it as his representative, perfectly blazing a trail. I will also do it through suffering. Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and he tasted death for you, is what this text says. First John says he's our advocate. An advocate's like a lawyer, someone who will speak on your behalf. 
You have the prosecutor. You have the defense. You have the judge. The prosecution is clear. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you've, you've done that. You've sinned. As a defense, we say, we, we can't say anything because you're right. But we have an advocate, the Bible says, who says, no, listen, I was their representative, I was their substitute, I did it perfectly, I blazed the trail, I will speak, Jesus says, on their behalf and represents you before God. I will speak to the Father, the judge, on your behalf, Jesus says. And then finally, we'll finally be glorified only through Christ. Remember we said that sin twisted that image? You know, think about a... Um, I had a lot of kids at my house last night. Most of them are in here today, but they, they got all my water bottles and I don't know that they drank the water, but they at least spilled them out. Blair, you wouldn't believe how many water bottles I picked up. And I found all these water bottles and they had been twisted and twisted. You, you can hear it when I do that, right? Like you can hear it and feel that sound. That, that's what sin did to the image of God. It, it, it twisted it. But it's through Jesus that it gets untwisted. It's through Jesus that it's restored and properly glorified. In other words, Jesus takes the shirt that's on us, that's backwards, and he flips it around to the way it should be. Friends, what can you take away from a text like this? Guess number one, I'll ask you, do you understand the purpose to which God created you? He created you to reflect His glory. He created you to rule His world. But we decided to live life backwards, didn't we? We decided to reverse His purpose by letting the Creator rule our hearts instead of the Creator. Excuse me, the creation rule our hearts instead of the Creator. And we can't fix that with a quick go to the restroom, turn the shirt around. No, we can't do that. We can't fix it on our own. Why? Because the image of God is twisted. We fight God's law, even though it's written on our hearts, and we're spiritually dead, left to an eternity in hell. That's why we need a perfect, almighty Savior to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And friends, this text tells us that it's only through Jesus that the image of God will be restored in us. It's only through Jesus that we will properly reflect God's glory and rule God's world. It's only through Jesus that our sins will be forgiven. Why? Because He's the pioneer, the representative, the perfection, the substitute, the suffering servant, the advocate. He's the one that will glorify us. And let's remember these pictures. It's only through Jesus that we might be able to properly rule the world. Remember, this is the way that we made our mistake. This is the backward shirt that we continue to wear when we allow the creation to rule us instead of the Creator. But when Jesus saves us, dear friends, He restores us, and he fixes this proper creature-creator distinction and brings us back to the purpose which God created us, that God created man in his image, and man is then to reflect God and rule 
God's creation. Friends, if we're living life with a shirt on backwards, let's run to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can fix those issues by properly restoring us through His blood on the cross. Remember this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So don't give up. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to Thee recognizing the authority of Thy Scripture, recognizing that we oftentimes live life letting the created rule our hearts and our minds. And when we really sit back and think about that, we're like, man, that, that's just foolish. Why would I let the created rule my heart when I could have the creator rule my heart? Yet, Lord, we, are, we have this wow factor with creation that will pull our heart and our mind away. But let us be wowed, not with your creation, but with you, the creator, and see your glory, your greatness in our lives. So, Lord, those things right now that's dominating our time, maybe dominating our eyes, dominating our hearts, things that are created that we put before you, let us, by your grace, mortify those things. Let us recognize the creator-creature distinction and see that God needs to be on the throne of our hearts and not the creator because just as the devil led Adam and Eve astray from you, this world will lead us astray from you. Always let us keep that in the back of our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.